over the past few weeks, I've had several conversations with individuals regarding the current climate in our nation and all that's going on with the riots and the protests and you know all the events that are taking place. Those conversations have centered around how we as Christians should respond to this. I've also had some pastors with some other Christian leaders about how the church at large should respond to this. I've also spent some time praying about the situation and even my personal response and how what I need to do. And I've done some things. I've took some actions that the Lord led me to do. There's some other things in the works that he has uh, led me to do. And in all honesty and in all transparency, this message today is a part of that. I felt like uh, as as the lead pastor of this church, it was something that we need to address and something that we need to talk about and just uh, just to deal with these things. So that's what I want to do this morning is just sort of lay down some groundwork. My message is entitled Moving Forward, Our Responsibilities. Let me just say from right out of the gate this morning that the details of how you respond as an individual are completely up to you and the Lord. I'm not going to stand here this morning and tell you, hey, here's how you need to respond. You need to do this and you need to go here or nothing like that. The specifics of what you do are between you and the Lord. And if you'll pray about those things, if you'll give the Lord opportunity, the Holy Spirit will show you how you need to respond. Maybe he leads you to protest peacefully. Maybe he leads you to take part in a march or or write um, you know, legislators and leadership, local leadership or, or whatever. I want you to, to pray about it. I want you to do what you feel led to do. The other thing is if uh, if you feel led to do something, then do it. Right? Don't don't worry about what others think or and uh, the other side of that is don't be judgmental about others and what you see them doing. But what I want to do again this morning is just to lay down some principles that we all must follow if we're going to be an effective effective voice in this situation that we find ourselves in. And the first thing I want you to see this morning is we must listen to the proper leader. We must listen to the proper leader. Ephesians 2 verses 1 and 2 is my text. Because what I want you to see here is that they are two voices, if you will, two leaders, if you will, that are speaking to this culture simultaneously at the same time. And as Christians, we have to make certain that we are listening to the proper voice. You say, well, what do you mean, Pastor? Well, let, let me read my text. Ephesians 2 verses 1 and 2 says this, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air and the spirit that now is at work in the sons of disobedience. There's a lot of Christians who imagine that Satan or the devil or the enemy or, or whatever you want to call him is just a little red guy with a pitchfork and he's confined to the depths of hell. And that's exactly what he wants you to think. That is exactly the logic that he wants you to buy into. And there's many Christians who have bought into that logic. And because of that, they're living in defeat. The reality is the enemy is the prince of the air. This passage says that, or the the prince of this age, some other passages say. But the idea is that, uh, you know, him and his demonic army, they're not in the depths of hell. They are alive on this earth. They are functioning on this earth. They are, they are roaming this earth. They are directing the events and they are speaking to things and they're trying to orchestrate events. He is real. He is active and he has a plan. 
And I can tell you what that plan is. If, if you're not a Christian, if you've never come to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, then his plan is for you to die in that same state. Maybe you grew up in church. Maybe your parents took you to church. Maybe your grandma took you to church. But he wants you to get that prodigal mindset. He wants you to rebel on the church. And he wants you to, to have a, uh, an attitude and a spirit of rebellion and independence and that you don't need the church and, and just to withdraw from the church. And he wants you to die in that because if you die in that without Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you die in that spirit of rebellion and independence without coming to know Jesus, then you're eternally his. Then you go to hell and spend eternity with him. And that's his goal. If you're a Christian, his goal is a little different. He wants to distract you he wants to get you depressed and discouraged and he wants to you know, sort of influence your direction, I guess you could say. He wants you, as we say here a lot, he wants you majoring on the minors, the things that don't matter. He wants you to argue about the, you know, the style of worship music and what you wear to church and the color of the carpet and all these things that in the context of eternity don't matter. But he keeps us distracted with those things and, and you know, he, he, he gets us discouraged and, and sidetracked with all this junk that in the scope of eternity doesn't matter. And we get wrapped up in these things and we never experience the fullness. We never experience the abundant life that Christ promised us. And there's many Christians there. There are many Christians who are not experiencing that abundant life. They are defeated. They are depressed. They have a victim mentality. They are fearful. And the list goes on and on and on because they don't know who they are in Christ. They don't know their identity and they don't know whose they are, you know, as far as their, their, their uh, place in the body and belonging to the Father. But again, what I want you to see in this first point this morning is that the enemy is not confined to the pit of hell, that he is alive and well. He is roaming the earth and he is influencing people. He is influencing events and he's involved in all that you see. So again, simultaneously, at the same time, these two voices, if you will, these two leaders are speaking to creation. The spirit of the enemy is, is focused on killing, stealing, and destroying. And he's all about destruction. He's all about rebellion. He's all about anarchy. He's about all a lot of the stuff we're seeing in our culture today. But on the flip side of that, and on the, the other end of the spectrum is the voice of the Holy Spirit. And he's absolutely speaking into our culture. He's absolutely speaking into the church. And he's not focused on stealing, killing, and destroying, but he's focused on justice and righteousness and unity. So the question is this. How can you tell which voice is leading you? You can tell which voice is leading you by looking at the fruit, look at the, by looking at the product, by looking at the the end result. Because you see, the spirit of the enemy, again, it's all about the enemy's agenda. And he always wants to shift the attention away from the things that matter, like justice and righteousness and unity. But he shifts that attention to destruction, and it becomes all about looting and destroying property and destroying businesses. It's all about destruction, because that's all he knows. The Bible says his agenda is to steal, kill, and destroy. That he is roaming this earth, seeking someone he may devour. That the product of the Holy Spirit and the product of the Holy Spirit's voice to us is love and respect and justice and unity. So as we move forward, as we 
walk forward as, as a church and as individual believers, our main responsibility is to make certain, excuse me, that no matter what we may feel led to do, no matter what we may feel the Holy Spirit leading us to do, make certain that we're listening to the right voice. Romans 8, 5 puts it this way. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Let's you and I agree to let Holy Spirit lead. Let's agree to be agents of change and agents of transformation. Let's pray about our involvement and what God would have us do and the scope of all that's going on. And let's step out and do it and follow his voice. The second thing I want you to see this morning, the second responsibility is that we look with a proper lens. We look with a proper lens. Galatians 3, verses 27 through 29. Listen, we are living in a time of division. We are living in a time of distraction. And in all honesty, when I flip on my television set in the evening, when I watch the evening news, I expect to see the things that I see in our society. I expect to see division in our world. I expect to see distraction and division in our culture and in the world system because they are listening to the voice of the enemy. But... We should not be seeing those same characteristics in the church. The church should be different. Listen to this. Galatians 3, 27-29, he says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And he says, and if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. You see, those cultural characteristics that we see shouldn't be visible in the church because the church should be different. I've said many times over the past few weeks in several different conversations that I believe the church is the only true solution. I believe that the, the church without the church and being involved in all that's going on in our nation and in the, the culture of today, there is no true resolution. There is no true healing without the church's involvement in this. Without the church, there could never be resolution truly, and there could never be true healing. You say, why is that? Well, let me share with you two reasons why I say that. Number one, it's because the church is the only agent of true transformation on the planet. Let me say that again. The church is the only agent of true transformation on the planet. This is why we're here. The Lord didn't leave us here to sit in a, in a, in a church building or in a waiting room with our waiting room mentality, singing Kumbaya and Amazing Grace for the next 40 years. He left us here to be a, a change, an agent of change. He left us here to impact society. Your kingdom come, your will be done, Father, on earth as it is in heaven. That's why we're here. And listen, the solution to all that's going on in our country is not socialism. The solution isn't communism. The solution isn't some new form of therapy. The solution isn't some new medication. The solution is a new heart. And it only comes through Jesus. He says he takes, he'll take our heart of stone and he'll give us what? A heart of flesh. That's the solution to what's going on, is that we all receive a heart of flesh and we start looking at things through the lens of Christ instead of all the other ones that we've been looking at. And we'll, we'll talk more about that in a minute. The second reason that I've been saying that the church is the only true solution 
is because the church, not, not this building that we're in, but the church, the body of Christ, is the only place where true equality exists. He says we are that we have put on Christ in that passage, that we are one with Christ. And there's no other religion, there's no other organization, there's no other place on the planet where true equality exists. But it does exist in the church. We talked last week about putting off things and putting on things. We talked about uh, cleaning out our closets, right? That's the idea here where he says that we have put on Christ. That's the image that we have clothed ourselves with Christ. We have clothed ourselves with the identity of Christ. And then he says, for you are all one in Christ, in Christ. We're all one in Christ because we've clothed ourselves with him. We have taken on his identity. We have become him. And understand that when we do that, when we all clothe ourselves with Christ, then the distinctions and the divisions of this world disappear. When we're all you know, in the body, when we've all clothed ourselves with Christ, there's no longer Jew or Greek. When we clothe ourselves with Christ, there is no longer slave or free. There's no longer male or female. There's no longer black or white or, or brown. There's no longer rich or poor. There's no longer Republican or Democrat. You see, in, the, in, the, in Christ, the walls of separation, the walls of distinction, the labels that we use in our society for people, those things are gone. Those distinctions are erased and unity prevails. The church is, is no place for racism. There's no place for racism in the body. There's no place for sexism in the body. And all these distinctions, all these labels that we use, they have to go. Because if we are in Christ, then we're in Christ. And it's time that we, as a church, it's time at, at large, the church at large, it's time that we stop sweeping these things under the rug and just looking the other way. It's time that we start holding each other accountable to live out the principles of God's word. So these lenses that we've been looking through, these lenses of you know, race and political party and gender and all those things, they got to go. I, I got to quit using those lenses. I got to quit looking through those lenses. Those, those labels have to go. And I have to see everyone in one of two categories. As I look through the lens of Christ, because he says, right, we have put on Christ. We're all one in Christ. And as I look through the lens of Christ, well, everybody fits into one of two categories. And this is the only... Uh, lens that I can use. They're, they're in one of two categories. Every person that you meet, th th they are either in Christ and they are my brother or sister if they're in Christ and I can live them and I can love on them. Or number two, they are not in Christ. And I, real, and I realize that, hey, I can still live with them and I can still love them and I, can, and, and I can still lead them to Christ because the same Jesus that died for me, he died for them. So the lenses of distinction, the lenses of division that our society uses, they got to go because we're one in Christ. He says we repeatedly, we are all one in Christ. Jesus even praised that in John 17 when he praised what is truly the Lord's Prayer. He says, Father, make them one, even as we are one. So when you meet people, when you meet new people this week, when you meet new people every day for the rest of your life, quit worrying about the labels of our society and look at them through the lens of Christ. They're either in Christ and they're your brother or sister and you can live with them and love them 
or, or number two, option number two, they're not in Christ. And God's called you to reflect him to them and you and he died for them and you can love them and lead them to him. As we move forward, our main responsibility is to make certain that we're not looking through some lens that creates distinction, some lens that creates division and distraction. We have to make certain that we're looking through the proper lens of Jesus Christ. Number three, and finally, I want you to see that we have to live with a proper likeness. 2 Corinthians 3.18 Listen, wherever and whatever the Lord leads you to do, in terms of this opportunity or other opportunities that will inevitably come, there's one key component, and that is your character. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Our lives should be reflecting the glory of the Lord. You see, we're not, we're not all at the same place on this journey that we call the Christian walk. Some of us have come to the Lord a couple months ago, maybe a couple weeks ago. Some of us have been at this for decades. Some of us longer than decades. That's why he says here that we're being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. We're at different places. We're, we're at different degrees of glory, but we're all displaying what? The same likeness, the likeness of Jesus Christ. And that's the call, is that you and I reflect him to a lost and dying world. That in the midst of all that's going on in our culture and in the situations that we find ourselves, we reflect Jesus Christ. Study after study after study has proven that the most effective evangelistic strategy in our culture today is what is commonly known as lifestyle evangelism. You say, well, pastor, I've never heard that term. Well, maybe you haven't put it that way, but life, or heard it put that way, but lifestyle evangelism is nothing new. It's sort of been rediscovered in recent years, but really it's nothing new. It's what Jesus did all the way through the New Testament. And the idea is that as you <clears throat> live your life, as you interact with people, as you go to work as you do whatever you do every day. That you pray for opportunities to share Christ. And the Holy Spirit will give you those opportunities. He will open doors and you share as you go, as you live your life. Hence the name lifestyle evangelism. I bring this up because it's greatly needed today. Christians who will live out their faith, Christians who will truly reflect Christ and be all that he's called us to be. But, but I bring this up because the fundamental requirement of lifestyle evangelism is that our lives reflect Jesus Christ, that we live the proper likeness, that we are reflecting him and his nature and all that he is to every person that we meet. And I want you to see that it's the same way with this cultural situation that we're dealing with. A, a fundamental requirement as you do whatever Jesus leads you to do in terms of your response to this. Again, whether it's protesting or rioting or marching or whatever. 
The fundamental requirement is that you display Jesus in the midst of it. As always, Jesus said it best. Matthew 5, 16. He said, in the same way, let your light so shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. What You say, what, what are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying the way we do business matters. The way we do school assignments matters. The way we live our lives matters. The way we drive down the road. The way we respond to situations. Everything that I do in my life must reflect the likeness of Christ. Everything I do in my life must shine forth the character and the likeness and the image of Jesus Christ. When those outside the church look at us, they should see something different. Our lives should reflect something different. They should see a difference between us and everyone else. As I think about this whole idea of lifestyle evangelism, there's, sort of, there's three words that came to my mind. The first one is honesty. You've got to be honest. You've got to be honest in all things at all times with everyone. You've got to be completely truthful in all things. It's like last week we talked about cleaning out the closet, right? You've you got to do those things. And you've got to be honest. And you've got to, you, can, you can't compartmentalize things and be honest in, you know, 90% of the time. It's 100% of the time. You've got to be honest. The second word that came to my mind is real. And we try to be that here at Refuge all the time. Because we're not here to play religious games. We're not here to go through the motions. We're here to be real and to watch God transform hearts and lives because he does it all the time. He does what we can't do. And the third and final word that came to my mind was this this transparency. Because those people who claim to be Christian and who look at you and see something different that's called hypocrisy, right? But we're called to be transparent. We're called to to live a kind of life that anybody can look at us and they can examine us to the to the finest detail and and what they see is real. It's it's transparency. I'm not I'm not you know I'm not going out and saying it you know and projecting this idea this image that hey I'm perfect and I've got it all together and I know how to do it all and I've arrived and I'm a super Christian right no I, I'm not I haven't arrived I don't have it all together I make mistakes I mess up every day just like you do it's just a, a, feeling, a feeling of, of transparency and I believe God honors transparency we, we have seen that here in the life of our church as people share things and open up about things, God honors those things. I want to close with a with a passage from First John, chapter two, verses three through six. If you've been in church long, the first part of this passage you've probably heard and will sound familiar to you. <clears throat> he said, "And by this we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments." Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. If you grow up in a legalistic church like I did, you heard that verse a lot. And, and yes, God's word matters, and yes, 
being obedient to God's word matters. But there's some people who want to elevate the the uh, the principles and the rules in God's word above everything else and make it all about rules and regulations. And that's called legalism. And there's no life in that. That brings death. If it's all about living by a set of rules, the Old Testament would have worked and Jesus would have never had to go to the cross. It doesn't work that way because those rules, again, going back to what I talked about earlier, those rules, they can't change my heart. Just like socialism and communism and therapy and medications and those things, they can't change my heart. They can't change who I am and that's why Jesus is the solution because he can. He can take that heart of stone and make it a heart of flesh. But the last part of this verse is where I want to focus. And maybe you've heard this, but maybe you haven't. It says in verse 5, But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected or matured or completed. He says, By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Let me read verse 6 again. 1 John 2, verse 6, Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Our, our pastor's council, was, some of us have started, some of us are getting ready to start. We're doing this um, uh, 30-day devotional about, you know, through the per, the person and ministry of the Holy Spirit. And I was reading the other day, and it sort of dawned on me, you know, for, for a long time, I used to wish that I lived when Jesus lived. You know, I wish I could walk <clears throat> with Jesus side by side and see what the disciples saw and participate in all that, that they got to participate in. Anyway, it, it sort of switched, sort of flipped to me one day and I realized that I do and I can. And this devotion a couple of days ago just reminded me of that because it was talking about how everything that Jesus did was led by the Holy Spirit. Everything Jesus did was empowered by the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says that when, when he ascended to heaven, that he sent us who? He sent us the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says that if I've received Christ, the Holy Spirit dwells in me, and I can experience a baptism of the Spirit even beyond that. But listen, I can the walk as he walked. Because the same Holy Spirit that led him, the same Holy Spirit that energized him, the same Holy Spirit that gave him power is doing the same things for me. So while I don't live in the first century, I can walk with Jesus. And I can, and I can reflect his likeness and I can reflect his character, character and I can reflect his nature to every person that I meet. So as we move forward, our main responsibility is to make certain that our lives are displaying a proper likeness. Make certain that our lives are displaying the light of the gospel message. Make certain that our lives are displaying the likeness of Jesus Christ. Listen, I'm going to ask our musicians if they will to make their way up, but again, I just, I encourage you to pray. I encourage you to ask the Holy Spirit what's your part in all that's going on now. And I encourage you to make sure that you're listening to the proper leader. That you're listening to the right voice. That you're not listening to the voice of the enemy, the spirit of the enemy that's all about destruction and rebellion and all those things. But you're listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit. I encourage you to make sure you look with a proper lens. 
Don't look through the lenses of our society and the lenses of our culture that create distinctions and divisions and see male and female and black and white and Republican and Democrat and all those things, but look through the lens of Christ. And if you look through the lens of Christ, there's only two things visible and they both need me. They both are a part of me. There's those that are in Christ that are my brothers and sisters and there are those that are not in Christ that I am called to reflect him to. And again, either way, I live with him. Either way, I walk with him. Lastly, I would encourage you to live with a proper likeness. Our main responsibility is to make certain that our lives are displaying a proper likeness. Make certain that our lives are displaying the light and the likeness of Jesus Christ. 